It is week 12, which is crazy to say this thing has gone by so fast. Thank you for joining us. I'm Yogi Roth. This is Ted and Yogi's Pac-12 Adventure, along with Ted Robinson, my partner, Michael Molinari, our producer. And it's November, and it's kind of sad. It's nostalgic, but the competition is also at an all-time high. we got a lot of storylines, fella. Fellas, we came off a really fun game in Berkeley, Cal, Washington State, first and foremost. How's the beginning to your week as we get rolling? Hey, uh, guys, the, the good part is that every week, and, and even though we didn't have a blockbuster game in the pack this past weekend because we had four teams that were having their November bye, but there's something happening every week that affects CFP. And that was clearly LSU, Alabama. And secondary was probably Minnesota beating Penn State. And... Uh, <laughs> And those are games that if you're in Oregon and Utah's shoes, I'm sure they were both at home watching everything, but they were really watching those games to see. But I think it's great, Yogi and Michael, because here we are on November, as we speak, it's November the 11th, and the Pac-12 has two teams in the legitimate conversation for the CFP. And, and that's not, I, I would be personally say, I wasn't 100% confident on September 11th that I was going to be able to say that. Seems like each and every week, the legitimacy of Utah and Oregon seems to get stronger as the other teams in front of them fall. So I, uh, it's a really exciting time to be talking about, are we going to get a team in the playoff, for one? And to answer your other question, Yogi, it's exciting to be sitting in my house. It was a long week between college hoops, NBA, and football, and a lot of fun. Um, and uh, uh, looking forward to uh, headed up to the Palouse. Yeah, you know what? I heard a lot of feedback last week when we recognized, obviously, the basketball season was starting. I'm curious for both of you guys, because if I'm just a fan, I'm wondering this. How do either of you balance the preparation for Pac-12 hoops? Michael, you're doing NBA as well at times. And, of course, the, the biggest game of the week that we're doing on our network. The balance is you've, I, I could, you know, I've done it for a long time, A, and B, Having staying in one conference, I feel like I really I know the teams, the coaches, the players really well. So the prep is more about what are the storylines for this week. And, uh, you know, Ted and I yesterday were in Tucson and it was about the freshman for uh, Arizona's basketball team who performed incredibly well. Remember this name, Yogi? Nico Mannion. An amazing star in this conference in basketball. And, and, you know, guys, and as Michael said, it's it's now November and it's been what this is the eighth year of our network now. So it's been going on for eight years where in November there's a collision and it ends uh, Thanksgiving weekend because that's when regular season football uh, is finished. But for November, it's tough and it's become tougher, I think, guys, uh, because the basketball world has changed so dramatically just in the last two to three years. There's so much turnover year to year on a higher percentage of teams, not every team, but a higher number of them. And so for me, and I know for Michael too, you, you end up, we walked to Tucson yesterday. Uh, we were in Eugene last Tuesday for Oregon's first game. And it is, they walk on the court and you know, two out of the 12 players. I mean, that literally was the case in Oregon. There's two guys I know and the other people I'm asking who they are and what are they like? And it's the learning curve makes it a little, a little bit tough. Good news for the pack. It's looking better. Our first week in basketball has been better. And and how about this, Yogi? Our trivia question for the week, which I want to put out to our pod 
faithful as well, was that we understand, you know, basketball officials, especially November, December, work a lot. And we have David <laughs> Hall, who is a veteran yeah. official. He's very highly regarded. And David worked the first night in Eugene. And then, of course, the second night he worked at Stanford, as did I. So we were in the same boat. Um, but I asked the question Tuesday night, hardest working referee in basketball, David Hall, hardest working producer in <laughs> basketball TV, Michael Molinari, by year's end, who will work more games? <laughs> <laughs> I, My I, money's I on David Hall. My money's on David Hall. PJ Carlesimo, our partner, the great PJ, he said David Hall, too, and I laughed at him. I said, I, I put my house on Molinari. No question. <laughs> I love that. I love I, it. I, it. It's not work. It's great. Uh, hey, hey, amen to that. And PJ Carlissimo, proud product of uh, Scranton, Pennsylvania. So we'll give him a quick yeah, shout out here uh, on this pod. Um, okay, so uh, that being said, we're going to transition back to football. You guys can get back to basketball on your own time. Uh, but, but that being said, I, I oh, just to remind everybody, we've got four downs, the humanity moment of the week. Um, our first down, we're going to talk about the obvious, right? We're talking about the CFP, Oregon, Utah. The next iteration of the rankings will come out Tuesday of this week. So by the time you listen to this, download it. Either you may have listened to it. It may have already happened. But I have, and I told you guys this last week, I have a soapbox that is standing and it is basically for the next three weeks. First and foremost, um, I'm jumping right on it. I'm really excited. I don't think we've been in this in my mind, where you've had two teams that are in contention for the Pac-12 title, right? We've had Oregon when they were rolling in terms of postseason, the CFP, they played Arizona. UW was rolling. Um, it wasn't like there was another team at this point in the season where they were going to battle each other who potentially was going to go to the playoff. Like you had your horse and you're riding it. So I think that's awesome for this conference. And you know me, I'm pretty positive. But I was, I was uh, trying to think of a better word here. Because it wasn't frustrated, but I was I was angry over the weekend because I heard so much um, it's so much criticism about our conference about the narrative of the Pac-12 with our top two teams not playing. Kind of like a lot of commentary online, at least was, or from other people in the sports industry. Well, the Pac-12 is not a conversation starter anymore, so that that's why they can't hold a narrative. And it to me, it was completely false because this weekend, I think as Ted referenced. The best thing that could have happened to this conference, Bama and LSU, number one, are always going to be the story when they're a top 10 matchup. And with them, Bama and Penn State losing, the narrative, in my opinion, got even stronger. So I think when the rankings come out, Minnesota has earned their spot. Baylor has earned a spot to be undefeated. They should get that. But I think these two teams are in tremendous position. And then I'll go one further because I heard from a lot of people, a lot of people who are in the industry said, hey, well, Bama is still one of the best four. And this is where I net out. In the general population, we hear an uh, overall gripe that this generation of teenagers and kids need to learn that success is earned. But when Alabama loses, we want to give it to them because they, quote unquote, look the part. Well, let's call a spade a spade. They look the part every single year. Their roster is always going to look the part. Their second string looks the part, but they're not going to win a conference championship, most likely. They played their best game of the season off a of bye week, which they should. Oh, by the way, it was at home and they lost. I mean, to me, it, I was utterly frustrated with just ridiculous rhetoric. I get taken shots at this conference and some have been fair in years past. But to say that the narrative of this conference got weaker over the weekend to me was a joke. So uh, I wanted to get that off my chest. So I could Yogi, do you have room for me alongside you? Always. <laughs> so I, I could. I mean, look, that's we, we all 
I think all of us who've been around the pack and, and really care about this conference have felt that way. You know, you, you at some point you do bristle about being a punching bag, especially when it's not deserved. Um, and that's certainly the case. So my first question to any of the mouth breeders on social media would be, would they rather have had Oregon play Wofford? I think Wofford was available this past weekend, right? <laughs> or WCU, that online school that Alabama's playing. Um, and the second part, though, about the CFP, and Yogi, I know you've pointed out some things during the season this year that are unintended consequences. I guess they'd label them such that, that don't help. And here's the one that comes to me now, because for the first, I think it's the first time the pack has really had two teams coming down in the last few weeks that have a shot. You, you end up hearing this. You end up seeing people within the conference rooting for people to lose, right? Because, and it's it's frustrating because you know, you, you're saying, okay, UCLA plays at Utah this Saturday. It's a huge game for UCLA, unexpectedly massive game. But you hear a lot of people, oh, boy, Utah needs to win that game. It's better for the league. And that's, to me, an unintended consequence. I'm not smart enough to have an answer to that one, but I find that I'm, I've been uneasy when I've heard those sorts of comments. And I have heard them a lot in the last few weeks with the under, obvious goal of getting for the Pac-12, that two one-loss teams playing in the championship. Well, first of all, I want to go back to Yogi said he's kind of a positive guy, I think. Um, I'm going to definitely endorse that, rubber stamp that. But uh, I would, I, I'd say... Out of sight, out of mind. That's just the way we are. So Oregon and Utah aren't playing. So all of a sudden they're, you know, they lose relevance for a week. But I, my opinion hasn't changed. I think if both Oregon and kind of picking up on what Ted said and yeah, I don't want anyone like I want Utah to earn it against UCLA this week. And I think they will. But I think if Utah and Oregon get to that championship game with one loss, I think the winner is going to be in the playoff. And I think it's that simple, and they just need to take care of business and get to that point. All right, let me throw this question out. Yogi, you start here. I think I referenced this to you Saturday. Uh, and I, I think we would all agree that if Oregon and Utah get to Santa Clara with a loss, the winner of one loss team should be. Minnesota. I mean, they, I think what they did Saturday, they helped themselves a great deal in the eye test because it was the first time they played one of you know anything close to a big team. And they won, and they looked good in winning. All right, so. Let's now hypothesize. Let's say Minnesota wins the West in the big, or whatever they call it, the Big Ten, and they lose the championship game to Ohio State, and that's a one-loss team whose only loss is to Ohio State in the conference championship game. I think there's going to be, if if that were the case, I think that's going to be a pretty. You'll have a big push for a Minnesota, believe it or not, because the win over Penn State is going to likely line up to be a huge win by year's end. Yeah, I think that's going to be the fun part of the committee. You know, it's going to be body of work versus four best right now versus did you win a conference championship? Um, I think all those things will be in discussion, right? So if we, if we check them off, right, body of work, uh, they barely beat South Dakota State in the opener, beat Fresno State in double overtime, who's going to struggle to get to a bowl game, and could have lost to Georgia, Georgia Southern one by three. So I, I think... That that's what's held them out of the top 10, at least in the AP and probably the initial CFP. Um, and if I'm them, I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying, hey, we're playing the best late. Look who we just beat. So I, I think that's going to be the part because at least sitting on the committee a month ago, I got to go through the CFP mock committee. The 
decision of what best means lies within each individual member. So you get to decide how much you value a conference title. You get to decide how much a home win against Penn State is valued compared to three straight tough games for Oregon, for instance, Washington State, UW, and USC finishing off on the road. So I think it's a fair argument. You know, I don't think we can sit here and just, you know, trump the pac tolls horn and not be a truth teller about the rest of the country, to your point. But I, that, that'll be fun. I, I, and I don't know where they're going to go. Um, I, and to me, there's a lot of nuances to that of who's recused, who's in the room, who's having the discussion around those teams, how closely some teams are ranked. Uh, and that's going to be really fun to watch now compared to the final one based on who has uh, who has expertise in each conference. And, and I can lean into that more as the weeks go on, but I think the recusal policy is going to flip these rankings as we head into this uh, each conference championship weekend and the days after the conference championship are done. And, and Michael, let me, let, me throw, let me throw my hypothetical also. I do have to say Penn State has two pretty much gimmies, but they do play at Ohio State in two weeks. So that may they, they may well have a second loss on their on their on their resume by the end of the year. If those scenario if that scenario plays out though, there's gonna be there's going to be an unhappy team and an unhappy unhappy fan base and I hope I hope it's not us. That's what I would say. But the other thing I'd say it's gonna bring a huge outcry for eight instead of four. And I'm a big proponent of that. And I, that's a whole other discussion, but I'd like to see eight rather than four so we don't have these problems. Would Syracuse qualify this year? Eight? <laughs> I think we need 16 at least. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, your, I'm just trying to get at your motivation here. Yes. <laughs> I love that. All right. So real quick on these games, so we'll move on. We've got basically the Gidry Bowl, right? Javelin Gidry and Elisha Gidry, the two brothers at Utah and UCLA, respectively. They're playing each other. And then we got Oregon, Arizona. Arizona coming off a bye. Not really sure what the quarterback situation is there in this ball game. We know Oregon and what they can do and what we'd imagine them to do, but they also come off a bye week. So, what are you guys' thoughts about these two games? Well, I'd be, go ahead, yeah, Ted. I'm, I'm sorry, Michael. Quickly, I would just say, look, Arizona's a massive question mark the rest of the way. Their defense, you know, I'm sure everybody at Arizona hopes that Chuck Cecil was able to put some traction together during an off week and get their defense on some solid footing. Um, and, and the other one to me, though, is, is, is UCLA-Utah. Again, it's at Utah. We understand how you know, the degree of difficulty for UCLA is through the roof. But still, they, they've looked, we saw, they've looked really good. And this will be by far the biggest game in Chip Kelly's nearly two seasons there. And it's fascinating to me just to see how UCLA plays. Can they go in there and play with a little looseness? And, you know, we've seen Utah. Uh, they finally cleared their hurdle last year to win the West and get or win the Pac-12 and, and get to the championship game. Their stakes are bigger this year. This is the biggest expectation Utah's had since they've been in the Pac. I mean, obviously, they had the, the one year with Alex Smith quarterbacking in 2004. But in more recent times, by far their highest expectation, national expectation. So how do this Utah handle this the last three weeks? I would I would be stunned if Arizona can play with Oregon just because of the defense of Arizona and as a negative and the defense of Oregon as a positive. But I kind of agree with Ted. I think UCLA has a chance to keep it close in Salt Lake City. And if it's close late, I'd like I would 
like to see how Utah can handle that kind of pressure that they're going to face if the game is close late. I think that one could be close, but I think I think Utah pulls it out. Who do you guys think Arizona plays a quarterback? I think they go with Khalil Tate, um, knowing their record, four and five. They got to win two. It's at Oregon, Utah at home, at ASU to go bowling. Uh, I think they start with him and then kind of assess it from there. Because I think against Oregon's defense, he gives them the best chance in terms of running. And I think they double down on that. I, I would imagine we see more quarterback runs in this game, maybe even more specific plays to that element of Khalil's skill set. And if they lose, then I think it's an, an interesting conversation heading into the last couple of weeks. But let's remember, like he he has the locker room, right? He There's so many dynamics playing. The guys love him. He's He's actually said and done all the right things, um, as this clearly hasn't been the season or the last two seasons that he would have hoped for after coming off that impressive campaign two years ago. So I think they start with him and, and kind of roll from there. Yeah, I, I think Tate has a chance to do something, you know, video game like. And that's really the only way Arizona has a chance. So I think I think Khalil Tate is the only chance Arizona has. So I think he gets to start at least. Yeah, yeah it, and Yogi, you, you know this, when, when Justin Wilcox uh, went up to, with Cal, went up to play at Oregon, he didn't play as freshman up there, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and then uh, freshman uh, played at Utah, and it was not, you know, the two best defenses in the conference, right? They, they played them both on the road. He played the freshman in the second game, and it was a rough night. Yeah, I think it's a great point. Clearly, Grant Canell, the future of the program at that position. But I think they'll protect him a little bit. Two quick thoughts to nerd out in this game. Uh, for me, UCLA is as good as anybody in this conference, and you could argue the country, in scheming up first downs. So you give Chip Kelly an extra week. I think they're going to move the ball in ways that most teams usually can't against Utah early on in this game. Misdirections, different personnel groupings, try to utilize the strength of Utah against them a little bit. So that's going to be fun to watch, in my opinion, in that regard. And let's remember two years ago when Arizona was rolling, what Oregon did, and I get it, it's a different – defensive coordinator, but the general thought was no matter what keep Khalil Tate in the pocket, they would run their defensive ends literally to the sideline just to make him step up in the pocket. So I'd be watching the edges of Oregon's defensive front in this ball game when Khalil Tate's in. So, all right, so that's first down. We're going to keep rolling here. Second down, quickly, fellas, um, we had Cal Washington State. Since that game, there has been news. The Pac-12 Conference acknowledged an error in officiating during the third quarter of that game. It was a kickoff. Washington State received it. They returned it to the 50. The referee threw a flag on the play for a hands-to-the-face penalty. After the crew discussion, you could watch it on the TV copy if anybody wanted to. The foul was announced by the referee. Hands-to-the-face on the receiving team, number 15. Washington State, the receiving team, penalized half the distance to the goal from the spot of the foul, and it's on the minus eight-yard line. After the next play was run, the official informed Washington State that there was an error in the application of the penalty. Should have been on Cal, so clearly the ball wouldn't have been at the minus eight. So we're in this game. We called that game. Uh, Michael, I'd just love to hear from you on the mechanics of producing and what went on when that penalty happened from your lens as the game was going on. Well, in the, in the third quarter and with such a major penalty, you know, basically I have Four, four tape operators. We call it tape. It's actually a, a DDR at this point. That's what people would understand it. So it's a digital recording device that records our eight-man cameras. And basically, 
we're saying, does anybody see 15 from Washington State with hands to the face? And that's what everyone goes and looks for. Now, the hard calls are the ones away from the ball during special teams plays because most of the cameras are covering the ball. We do have the all 22, which is the wide angle that records all the players on the field. But often it's so wide that you can't see the detail of a hands to the face or other types of penalties. So you need to find it somewhere else. We couldn't find it, but the reason we couldn't find it was we were looking for 15 from Washington state when it was actually 15 from Cal. Um, so I, I remember Ted mentioned it to me Sunday. He saw that release and I was like, ah, that's why we never found that because we were looking for the wrong team. Obviously in the truck, you go by what the official says. And you know, there was a mistake there which caused us to not find it. Not the first time we haven't been able to find a penalty. It happens a lot on special teams play. So nothing, no alarm bells went off. Hey, we didn't find that something is awry. I mean, that's, that's kind of the way, that's kind of the way it went in the truck. Yeah. Uh, here's where I, I'll just come down on it and, and say, look, it's, it's bad. I mean, there's no secret about this, but to me reading about it when, Michael and I were in Tucson Sunday, literally Sunday night at the Arizona basketball game when the release came out. That's the first we knew about this. And we, as Yogi said, we called the game. Um, reading more about it, it appears to be human error. I mean, it's significant, as everybody understands who's read about this. It, it was a significant error in terms of how the game was being played, but it was human error. And it doesn't relate to the other issues that have been well discussed all year about uh, the command centers and review booth and protocols and all that. Um, so it's really unfortunate for Washington State. There's no way to hide that. It's human error. Um, I, 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 what I, what I don't understand is, is there a mechanism when a flag gets thrown? Is there a protocol on the field? Because this is the only place where anybody knew what had happened was on the field before the first play was run from scrimmage. There's 20, 30 seconds, whatever. Is there, is there a mechanism for the person who throws the flag to run into the referee and blows whistles? Wait, wait, wait a minute. I called the foul on the kicking team, not on the receiving team. That, that's, and I don't know the answer to that question. That's the only one in thinking about this after the fact that I've wondered. What do you think, Yo? Yeah, I'm with you. You know, I went back and watched the game because, you know, as the analyst, you're like, oh, did I, did I not see that? And I remember watching it and I was like, man, who is that on? And, uh, and to Michael's point, like, you don't necessarily go to the all 22 to go look at that when you're calling the game. I mean, you're moving the game forward. Uh, so I went back and watched it and it's hard to see on the TV copy. And then you go to the all 22 and you can see it and the referee throws it from behind, sees it. And that's the same individual who called the penalty. And then when I watched the next couple of plays, cause I wanted to see how, how did it shake out? And he's behind the offense to Cal's sideline. So he's as far away from Washington state's sideline as possible. And, you know, you play the what if, what's he thinking, what happened? And you net out, I think, Ted, to your point of like, we're humans playing, calling it and officiating it. And, you know, we've known the referee for a while. He's a stand up of a guy as we've been around. I mean, he's been great in his uh, administration. I don't think there was a lot of, at least from my vantage point, uh, criticism in, the, in that regard. So um, it's frustrating. You know, I does the game change? You never know. You know, at the stage of that game, I think everybody involved, I've talked to coaches on the Cal side, um, nobody wants that to happen. Uh, but to be to be blunt, Washington State got outplayed in every phase of the ball game as well, other than probably two drives. So I don't think it makes 
a dramatic difference. I don't think this is like the situation a couple of years ago. Um, and everybody, I, I get fans can be up in arms about it. And I understand the passion behind it. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of other issues for Washington so, State that night than just that call. Right. So, but Yogi, so you're saying it's actually the referee was the man who threw the flag. Yeah, that's what I saw when I watched the tape back. Yeah, he threw it. He was behind the returners on the kickoff return. And so that addresses uh, my point. There was no yeah. ability then for one of the other crew members to run in and go, wait a minute, I threw the flag. He threw the flag. So yeah. it was a one-person human error, not this massive structural fault. Um, and it, again, it's unfortunate. No hiding any of this. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I do want to emphasize, because obviously if you're listening to us, you care about Pac-12 football. And a lot of the... Uh, the, the stuff that makes the rounds on social media is circulated by the people that are looking to bang. And so there was an article in the Oregonian that, that went through this. And at one point uh, the discussion goes about the penalty being marched off against Washington state. Then a play ran, then the referee announced the crew had penalized the wrong team. And that's completely wrong. The referee, from what we understand, went over and told Washington state sideline but did not announce to anybody. Nobody in the stadium, as we said, we didn't know until the Pac-12 release came out. So I think it's, you know, again, it's a small thing, but to quote someone, it's sloppy and little things matter when you're trying to build trust. And so that Oregonian story would fit into that category. Yeah. I I just say this. I know, I know I made a mistake or two in that game. I know I would say Ted and Yogi, you did too, probably. And no. every play, every player on the field no. did yet. The only expectation of a perspective, perfection seems to be on the officials and i don't i don't think that's fair amen i'm with you there okay cool i'll tell you what i would last point last point i'm worried and i and i mentioned this during our game this gets a little bit to a different point is the is the incredible frequent and long use of reviews especially of touchdowns and what i worry about is that will continue will that will build a discouragement from people wanting to officiate uh, if they feel that every call they make on the field is going to be double-checked, second-guessed, you know, frame-by-frame frame reviewed, I fear, and it may take some time, but that you're going to lose good people wanting to do this for a living. Yeah. In, in sports overall, we've lost our way on review, not just college yeah. football, not just college basketball, professional, everywhere. It's now where we want to frame-by-frame frame every single play. And the, it's it's not entertaining as a, to a viewer, I would say. And I think that's that's another problem we could talk about later. But Yogi, did you hear that? You know Soapbox. Molinari's listening to me. How about that? Oh, I love it. Taking twelve years, he's listening to me. Yeah. Well, look, um, you guys have kids. I've got a little one, and I would definitely not encourage him to be an official. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah. If he was asking me what to do on career day. Um, all right. So that being said, let's go to our third down and rip here. Uh, games this weekend. Right. There's a lot at stake. Um, you look at teams that have qualified, four teams have qualified for a ball berth already in this conference. Uh, Cal is not one of them. And they host USC after beating the Trojans a year ago. Justin Wilcox, let's remind everyone, was one time defensive coordinator at USC. We got Oregon State, Arizona State, Arizona State, one win away from a bowl berth. They're on a little bit of a slide. Their starting quarterback Jaden Daniels did not play, yet another freshman, Joey Yelling, came in, and I thought he looked really good after watching the tape. Oregon State is 4-5, and five, so they need a win. And then we got Stanford-Washington State. Uh, Washington State, they are 4-5. and five. Stanford is 4-5. and five. So we got a lot of teams that clearly need to win 
to become bowl eligible. I'm curious about your guys' take. Uh, Ted, start with you. Those three games, what's the one thing you're looking forward to? Wow. Um, I, I would say, again, this is certainly, you have to think this is Cal's best shot. Even though it's USC, it's Cal's best shot to get a sixth. They finish with their rivalry game on the road, the big game at Stanford, which we will be at for Pac-12 Network, and then at UCLA. So this is their best shot. Um, I, I would suspect that the typical presence of USC fans at games in, at, at either Stanford or Cal is always immense. I'm imagining it's going to be lessened by two things. One is USC's record, and the second is the late start time. And that, I think, helps Cal. There'll be a less, you know, the crowd could oftentimes be 60s. And well, Yogi, when you were coaching, the, the crowd could be 60 70% USC. USC fans bought season tickets at Stanford. I know this for a fact, just to have tickets for the USC Stanford game when you were coaching it. Oh, okay. All right. Cal USC. That's a good, I, I like it. I like it. I'm with you on that. Uh, Michael, what do you think about that game? Oh, uh, well, you were asked. I was, I think, uh, I think Cal wins it because I think Cal's defense is going to be able to neutralize USC. That's my thought on that game. My thought of what, interests me this weekend is the stat of the week to me as, as we're starting to do some research for our game 22 games over the last two seasons Stanford has rushed 150 yards or more four times from 2014 to 2017 Stanford rushed for over 150 yards 40 of 54 games so my question is is Stanford going to get over 150 yards against a Washington State defense that has been uh uh, less than effective for most of the season. So that's the number I'm looking at because I think Stanford's going to get it done on the ground up on the Palouse. And, Yogi, where's Washington State's head right now? I mean, they, as you said, they didn't play to their level at Cal. Uh, the coach was very critical of the team again. And so now with a lot of their expectation from the start of the year is gone, uh, you know, I think that's the, the, the – to me, the whole Stanford-Washington State game comes down to where's Washington State's head. Yeah. I think for, for that game – you know, when, when you think about the seniors on that team, that's where my head goes, right? You only got two home games left. And this is when it really clicks in. You're four and five, and you go one way or the other. Uh, being around that team, you know, the last couple of years and, and having them a couple of times this year, talking to a few players, I don't think they go in the tank. Uh, they have bounced back every time they've had adversity. They haven't just been able to string things together consistently. And they've They've owned this matchup over the course of the last couple of years. I mean, you go back in 2015, Stanford won 30-28. But since then, it's been Washington State. 41-16, they win in 2016. Then two close ones the last two years. We called last year's game with Gardner Minshew leading the game-winning drive. Uh, so I don't think that they fold. Uh, I'm really excited to watch them, though, specifically offensively. Um, I thought defensively. Yeah, we were surprised what Cal did, but I didn't see a lack of effort. I thought they played really hard. Um, I thought they got beat at times. There was stuff there that, that Cal created. I think Stanford will have the opportunity for some big plays in this game, but they gotta they got to protect. And I'm watching back the Colorado game now, and you know there's times where KJ's just getting smoked back there at quarterback. So um, how do they handle the pressures of Jihad, Wood, Jihad Woods? And, and playing up there will be something we'll want to pay attention to. So I, I think there's there's nuggets in all those games. The, the biggest one for me is Cal SC. Cal, much like Oregon, two weeks in a row, Oregon faced the air raid, Washington State, USC. Cal, same thing. I think when you get that on your schedule, 
that's a huge advantage because you're seeing similar route concepts, combinations, um, and they're coming off a buy as well. So really, they've had three weeks to just work on the air raid, which you never get that. So I, I think that's big advantage, Cal. I, I think this is going to be one, much like last year, comes down to execution late in the fourth quarter. Yeah, that's a good call. And then the last one quickly, Arizona State last year finished strong in Herm's first year. They won four of their last five to get a bowl bid. And uh, they're sliding the other way right now. Now, of course, Daniels doesn't play. We, as we're speaking, I don't know what his status would be for this weekend. But that, to me, again, the thing can Herm with the Sun Devils, can they find the emergency break and not let this thing skid and completely lose what was a very good start to the year? Yeah, that's going to be fun because, you know, admittingly, there's a piece in The Athletic today of Herm kind of saying, like, uh, hey, he's going to try to, you know, hit the portal, get some players for next year is, is how I read it, at least. And they're looking for a pass rusher. And they've struggled to get into the quarterback. And Jake Luton can deal. So this is going to be this is going to be a fun game to watch. I think overall, these three games uh, that we're referencing, dramatically competitive. Uh, I'd be hard to pick which one is going to win out. So that's our third one. Our fourth down, we're going real quick on it, fellas. We got, Ted, you talked about it. We got the big game. This is awesome, man. You know, um, really pumped up to do this one. Michael, this is your fourth big game. This will be my second. Ted, how many have you had? Cal Stanford. Uh, well, I, I worked uh, for Stanford. I was their radio announcer for 13 football seasons. So I called 13 big games on radio with a very vested interest. And I think, <laughs> I, think I, I can't lose track. I've probably done two in the past with Michael. Um, on television so yeah i've had it it's great look the rivalry games are different the rivalry games in this conference uh, the established ones utah colorado they're trying to make that a rivalry i hope it happens someday but the other established rivalries those games are different and it is every cliche in the stanford cal rivalry is true you throw the records out the fact that it is a one o'clock kickoff is phenomenal because i think it will guarantee a sold out which it should be but when the wandering start time area, this is always a question. I think a one o'clock kick will make sure that it is a full stadium that Cal fans will come over. Um, and it's great. I mean, the legacy of, of the, the schools, the, the people that you'll see, the fan that, you know, so I, there were games where John Elway would come back and stand on the sideline. Um, you know, when he was healthier, Joe Cap did the same thing on the Cal sideline. Legends who play for the two schools come back. It's great. Obviously, both teams hope to have bowl. Cal would, in their preferred world, would already have six. Stanford's going to need the big game to to have a shot at six because they have Notre Dame coming in the, the final weekend, which is nothing, you know, not, not a layup at all. So there is going to be something to play for. And and I, I think I go back to where Michael's stat was on this one, Cal's offensive line. And that's just the difference. Their offensive line has had a slow drop in its level over a couple of years. It's been coming, and I think it's probably reached a higher peak this year in the end, the fact that they don't have a Christian McCaffrey or Bryce Love either. And I'm not talking Scarlett. I'm saying they had two exceptional backs, right, back-to-back. Uh, -back. And now you've, you've, you've passed out of that phase. I think that has accentuated this, the drop in their offensive line play, which has been going on probably three years. I think Cal's got to be really drooling. Over, I mean, 2009, the last time Cal won. Back to the interception, Andrew Luck, to Michael Muhammad. On Versus Network, Ted, 2009. Yes. I was there. <laughs> and, I did at uh, least one of those with you. Yeah. Uh, the first time I saw it, to me, it's to me. I don't care what happens. It's always about the two, 
the trophy stare down. I just that's one of the most interesting things in sports. It's that's why uh, I just find that I find that fascinating every time. Is that uh, for those who don't know? I think most people do, but the two they stand with the axe. Uh, the Stanford Stanford Axe Committee will be standing, staring down the Cal Axe Committee, and they take little baby steps towards each other as the game winds down. And it's it's fascinating to me every time I see it. And that's the great point about this. And and I don't think you know, Yogi, you've been involved in USC UCLA and in Pitt uh, was in West Virginia, right? The backyard, the backyard. Oh yeah, you guys called it. Yep. Oh yeah. Where everybody carried. Stanford, look, Stanford student body is extremely diverse, internationally diverse, extremely academic oriented. There's a large percentage of the Stanford student body that doesn't know if a football's pumped or stuffed. And I'm just being blunt. <laughs> it's true. And it's not a knock. It's just who they are, where they've come from, what their interests are. But I'm saying they care about the big game. That's why the big game matters. Stanford students will be there and they'll be going crazy. And they may not know anything about football or no players on the team, but they'll go nuts. And the Cal students will be there being equally, you know, we see them more anyway, but they'll be equally, you know, basically the two sides will be obnoxious. And, you know, they've had to put crowd control <laughs> measures in place over past years for the big game. Uh, it would not be the worst thing in the world for me if I saw that again. It would mean people cared. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that's, but that's what makes it great. And I, I know each one of the rivalry games, again, in our conference, you'd say, you'd say the same thing about it. That's awesome. All right, we'll get more into that next week. All right, before we get out of here, Michael, looking forward to it. What is your humanity moment of the week? Well, it's got to play off of the guy who is one of the most entertaining players in our conference, Evan Weaver. But I kind of want to take it to uh, advance the story a little bit. We had an opportunity to speak to Evan and Ashton Davis on Friday. And the yin and yang of those two is what fascinates me. Evan Weaver, absolutely bombastic, loud, energetic, a throwback. A guy who's probably been playing football since he was three years old. And then Ashton Davis, quiet, reserved, thoughtful, uh, economy of words, which is a, a term we use in television. And we spoke to we spoke to Ashton first. And the funniest thing he said to me or us was, I just say one little thing that gets under Evan's skin and I kind of let it just sit there and we go back and forth. And that's how I get to him. So we brought Evan in and he's, you know, loud and having fun with us. And then I just asked him, what is, what does Ashton do? And he said, well, he'll say something. And then about five minutes later, I'll realize he was really, he was going at me and he had, and, and it's just the, the interaction of those two was my humanity moment because it means that two teammates who are completely different can work together to get the job done. And, and, you know, that's what sports is about. Amen to that. Can I jump one in here? I saved this one for you guys. Sure. A, a, a Cal graduate and one of the premier sports writers on the West Coast, Bruce Jenkins, writes for the San Francisco Chronicle. And uh, Bruce doesn't cover college sports, but because he's a Cal fan, a Cal graduate, he's a fan. He watches a lot and he pays attention a lot. Saturday in the San Francisco Chronicle, Bruce Jenkins, direct. I'm quoting him here. Hey, it's a true freshman. Why not say it? Everybody else does, except it's wrong, redundant, pointless. You're either a freshman or a red shirt freshman. No need for the clutter. That is my humanity moment for the decade. Thank you, Bruce. More economy of words.
Yeah, that's good. All right, I'm going to work on that. I'm going to try to not say true freshman this weekend. <laughs> I'm sure I've said it about 100 times this year. Um, all right, uh, this is great. I love you guys. I learned a lot. I learned about Nico Mannion, and we learned uh, we learned that it's basketball season, and we also learned that, unfortunately, football season is going to come to an end, but we got a lot of hype. we got a lot of excitement, and we got two teams in the CFP. Yeah. Yogi, it's uh, November. It's still football month. Oh, and absolutely. Yeah, yeah, we got to know. We got 2020 for... For basketball three more we'll finish strong yeah unbelievable all right fellas uh back to prep back to grinding back to emailing each other and texting each other late at night i uh, appreciate the time once again subscribe rate review ted and yogi's pack 12 adventure with michael molinari our producer as we bring you what we think is the most insightful content in pack 12 football every single week and if you disagree let us know how we can get better and if you do agree pass it on to your friends family and fellow pack 12 supporters all right we're out Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.